Welcome to the Dear Nikki Mama podcast. I'm Ashley. And I'm Martha. And our mission is to connect the past and the present Nikki Mom by celebrating our stories and what our babies have overcome. Whether your NICU journey was 50 years ago or whether you find yourself in the NICU today, we hope that this podcast reminds you that you are not alone. Hi, mamas, and welcome to the Dear Nikki Mama podcast. It's your hosts, Martha and... Ashley. Today is kind of weird because Ashley and I are sharing one mic in a in a space. It's been probably a year since we've recorded in person. And um uh we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna get our bearings, we're gonna figure it out. But just so you know, we are sliding back and forth to like position ourselves in front of the same microphone. It kind of feels like we're windshield wipers, just wiping back and forth. And the other unique part of it is that every time I move, my chair squeaks pretty significantly. <laughs> so um just bear with us today. It's a really good oblique workout though. Yes, so yes, we're in those abs. Uh, well, today, friends, on the Dear Nikki Mama podcast, we are doing part two of Nicole Burns' NICU journey. Um, if you've listened to part one, Nicole bravely shared about her journey and her pregnancy and delivery with her twins, Avery and Harper, and uh, the untimely death of her daughter, Avery. Um, and we have to say, uh, Nicole, you're here with us right now. Uh, thank you so much. We have experienced an outpouring from other lost moms sharing how your story uh, has touched them and made them feel less alone. So thank you. Thanks, ladies, for having me back. I was so touched to also receive messages and see the comments. It was truly an honor to share our story and also just see how um, I'm able to reach other mamas, how I was reached out to previously. Mm-hmm. You're just the best. We love you. Oh, you guys are so cute. You do look like little windshield wipers before. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite comical. And, you know, when we're in different rooms, Martha and I always have the awkward pause because we don't know who's going to talk next. But now that we are in the same room, it's the same thing, except <laughs> like we're like bumping into each other now. So. You're like giggling schoolgirls. <laughs> we are. We're... We're two professionals. That's what we're dealing with. But I am I'm so grateful that other moms reached out to you, Nicole. That is incredible because you deserve so many accolades and support and and honestly just celebration for the way that you share about your girls because you also quite have just a ton of wisdom that um is so valuable for other people who've lost children or know people who've lost children. So I'm so grateful that you're part of our community. Thank you. It was an honor. It really is. And I'm excited to share more and hear what else there is to talk about. Yeah. So let's hop into part two. We want to dedicate this episode to a few different talking points. The first one though, is we would love to hear about Miss Harper's NICU journey and not only her ups and downs and, you know, how long her NICU journey was, but also what it was like for you to journey through the NICU while celebrating all of her milestones and also grieving the loss of Avery. So would you mind just picking up at that point, Nicole, and sharing with us a little bit about her journey? Sure. So Harper, it was um, luckily a, a pretty easy rest of her stay. So Avery had passed when they were 15 days old. Um, so we still had a chunk of time ahead of us in the NICU, but um, 
she was excelling. She was now on low flow um, and they were continuously upping her feeds. And so she was feeding really well. Um, And that was exciting to see her progress. Um, It was obviously a really trying time for myself because I, she was still in the same spot in the NICU. And part of that was a request of myself and our primaries were really good at communicating saying, we think there's going to be a time where we should move her so that you can heal and you can, you know, savor the moments that you're going through with Harper, but we don't want to do that too soon where it's kind of a trigger or you're not ready. And so they had done a really beautiful setup in um, her isolate with, um, a cute teddy bear and flowers. And, Mm. um, and that was, it was great. But at the same time, it, it's hard to look at that. You know, they were in, Mm -hmm. we had an open NICU, but it was what's considered kind of like the twin section of it where the isolates were right next to each other. Um, And so there was finally a time where um, they did move her. I want to say it was probably just shy of like two weeks. Um, And I don't know if that was good or bad, really. Um, I think the decision was was definitely up to me, but they finally, my primary was like, she called me that morning. She was like, I'm just letting you know we're moving Harper and, you know, told me which uh, spot she'd be in. And walking through the doors um, was hard because, because the spot that they were at was right next to the entrance. And so regardless, I was going to have to walk by that, um, mm. those two isolates. Um so that was that was a lot, um, but I think it did help me in kind of focusing back on Harper's journey. Um, so she, we started to get to the feeling of the flow more. Um, I was going um, every day, and I want to say I was there for eight to ten hours again with you know that ninety minute drive there and back. And so when I would get there, I just kind of stayed there all day. I would go and you know go down to the cafeteria and eat lunch, but. I was there so that I could do as many care times as possible. And we were starting to do the introduction to breastfeeding and um, going through kind of just all the the steps. And she was just doing so well. Like I felt like at this point she was almost to that like feeder grower stage. And so I was starting Mm -hmm. to feel really confident, but there was always this part in the back of my head that was like, don't feel too comfortable. Don't feel Mm -hmm. like, everything's going to be great because of what happened with Avery. There was always that moment of like, as as soon as I felt like everything was going the way it should, like the next shoe was going to drop. And so that was really an internal battle for me to really focus on how well Harper was doing and know that she really was doing well. I remember mm-hmm. our primary nurses always coming to me being like, she's doing so good. She's really advanced for you know beyond where she should be and so I I really tried to hear that and listen to that um and so she ended up spending 66 days in the NICU which brought her home uh the day before my birthday and that was really nice and it was also before she was she came home at 34 weeks so I don't know if that was was just gonna see (laughs) yeah I don't know if that was the NICU being like let's just get them out of here in case something else happens. Not really. I know that they wouldn't do that, but um, it was, it was nice to be like, we're going home, but she was, I can't remember her exact weight, but she was under five pounds when she came home. So she was still a tiny peanut. And when the day before, or like, I guess it was like three days before she was due to go home, 
I was there the night um, doing a feeding. I don't remember if it was breastfeeding or bottle feeding. And um, when we took her, when I went to put her back in the isolate, um, we noticed that she had um, had a dirty diaper. And so when we went to change her, the um, the night primary nurse had kind of looked at the stool and thought it looked suspicious. And I think there's such a high alert because of our situation and surrounding what neck is, how quickly it can and does progress. And with Avery's past and the fact that they're twins, they kind of like sounded the alarms and they like, I felt cold. I felt like absolute terror come through me and I was by myself at the hospital and they, they, they sent the, the diaper down to the labs to get checked, and then they, um, they started, they instantly put her NPO, and they called for, like, an x-ray. And um, I was just, like, I, there was this weird mama bear moment that came in, and there was a different doctor that was there, and he was, um, he didn't really know our case, and I remember just being, like, do an x-ray like every hour, do like starter on antibiotics. I don't care. And it was this complete opposite response that I had had with Avery because I was like, we ain't going through this again, you know? And Mm -hmm. I, I finally felt like I had a voice for my children and I was going to make sure that nothing possibly could go wrong. Um, so everything came back fine. I, I don't know if it was just a weird, poop. (laughs) I don't know. But um, they decided to think that she was um, like lactose intolerant or had a dairy allergy. So they were like, all right, we're going to have you go dairy free if you want to breastfeed or continue to pump. And so everything turned out fine. But that was that real first moment of like showing the anxiety and fear that comes with losing a child and still trying to parent and mother. Yeah. Absolutely. I think what you described too is like, I mean, you, you were in the midst of fight or flight because you were in the NICU, but then you experienced this very intense loss and grief and, um, you were very close to it. Right. So the, the, just the action of experiencing all these things again, I'm sure rushed you back and your nervous system back into these, these feelings and sensations. And I, I mean, I am so proud to know someone like you who who really use that to to create a voice of advocacy for their kids. I think that just shows how courageous and brave you are, um, and how what an incredible mom you are too for them. Um, I I that I can't imagine how terrifying that was, having just gone through it though. Um, I wonder, you know, was your experience bonding with Harper any different after you lost Avery? Um, Obviously, I don't know how it would have been without, you know, fantasizing about it. But uh, it was different in the sense of kind of how I touched on it. It's like you had this feeling in the back of your head that something terrible could go wrong. And I think like as all moms and as all new parents, there's this naivety of thinking like your child is here and you're just going to raise them and love on them and share them with the world. But when you have gone through that loss and it's so fresh, I mean, it's just happened. It's happening still. Um, There, there's a fear, you know, I, I don't think that I 
loved her or love her any less, but there was this undying feeling to like absorb everything that you could with her. And I think Mm. there was this moment where I was like, I'm not going to miss anything. I'm not going to Mm. allow for any absence between us, between our family. And so if anything, it makes you love harder. Um, I hope that won't come across as the teen years come that I don't smother her, but (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, I mean, but there's still fear. It's, it's this double edged sword of, you know, not wanting to get too close, but not wanting to miss anything. So you said that the the poop examination was about three days before you came home. Yeah, it was it was right right about then. We were like gonna go home, and then the poop episode oh. happened. Oh, um, great. But yeah. I also oh, think wonderful. it was still like you don't really have to go home yet. She's only 34 weeks or like close to it. So I I don't think like they were trying to like expedite it any faster, but I was ready to go. She was off oxygen, you know, her top was popped. She was, you know, doing well. And I think like the last thing we had needed was to be Brady free. And when the, um, the poop episode happened, they had to, um, put an IV in, which, it's terrifying to see them put an IV in your like brand new or pick line in your mm-hmm. brand new baby, but to see it when they are now like kind of growing and thriving and have the ability to like push aside, you know, these mm-hmm. nurses. Oh, that was so, so sad to see them do. And so that ended up causing her to have a couple of Brady's because she was just mm-hmm. so overstimulated. So then that count of the three days Brady free started again. And so once we got those three days on the books, we were able to go home. And okay. and that transition home was really hard. I don't think I, I think I knew it was going to be hard, but I didn't realize how hard it was going to be to, even though Avery had left that hospital, you know, previously before passing away, it was still, I went into that hospital with two babies and, Mm -hmm. and delivered them. And then to wheel them out together was my anticipation, whether that was going to be in, you know, 90 days or whether it was going to be together or separate, because I know there's so many twin families that don't have their kids come home at the same time. But it was, I was leaving with one baby and that was, that was really hard. Um, and I remember the the nurse who had been in the delivery room when the girls were born was the nurse who wheeled Harper and I out. And Mike had gone to get the car. And, you know, she was pushing the stroller because I think it's like protocol there at first. I don't know why. It's like a wheelchair thing. And um, she scooted over and like told me to, you know, take the reins. And we went down the elevator and just like, it was just the two of us in the elevator with, with Harper, of course. And my shoulders just started shaking and she was like, you're doing this and you're, you're going to make it through these days and it's going to be hard and you are making all the right decisions for your baby. And it was just that moment of like, she was with Harper. She was like one of the first, you know, nurses to, to touch her and be with her. And she was, you know, seeing us out of the hospital. It really made kind of that transition a little easier for us. Mm there there's that transition that happens out of the NICU too that's like lifestyle transition in terms of how you're 
your sleeping, your eating, and um, your rest and your stress levels. Add it on top of the fact that you're recovering from massive surgery and then a car accident too. Oh my gosh. Remember that from episode one? Um, so you're having all of these things and then cumulatively starting to process Harper and Avery's NICU stays and the loss of, of Avery. And and how were those early days for you? I mean, you alluded that it was challenging, but but what was it like day to day and how did you get through? Yeah, it, it was all of that. I mean, physically, I was finally feeling better, um, but it was that emotional and mental side that was the most challenging part of it. Um, I know that a lot of doctors and nurses frown upon it, but we decided to get the outlet, which to me was what I needed. Um, we didn't come home on any monitors. Her, her lungs were good. Um, she had had a mild PDA in the hospital. I forgot about that. And it closed on its own. And so we didn't have any reason to be concerned medically that there was going to be any issues. Um, but I was still terrified. And I, I think even as a new mom, I would have been. And so the outlet gave me a little bit of sense of control because in the NICU, you're, you're just used to the beeps and the chimes and the monitors to tell you when and if there's something going wrong. And so right. that helped me tremendously. I feel like the first two or three days, my husband and I ended up taking shifts. And I don't know why we thought we couldn't sleep when the baby was sleeping <laughs> um, <laughs> because we can. But I remember he would be sleeping upstairs and I would be on the couch with the baby and she would, Harper would sleep on me or on him. And again, I don't know why, like she wasn't screaming when he put her down, like you hear for so many others. So I think like for us, we just didn't know how to not be like physically with her for those first few days. And then we mm -hmm. finally, we had her in kind of like a doc -a -tot, and that helped us be able to see her. Um, and the monitor and that kind of helped us get into a routine and all along, you know, I'm still pumping around the clock, trying to work on breastfeeding and the day to day, like trillions of bottles and pump parts that you have to clean <laughs> and feeding yourself at some point and showering was hit or miss. So there, there's a lot. Um, it was this just kind of process that we were all going through and, there would be these days where you're just, you know, enamored by their little toes and counting them and unbelievable that, you know, she's home with us. And then it would just all come flooding back with this moment of where's my other baby? Why am I mm -hmm. having to do all of this, you know, with, with just one where I can't believe that I'm supposed to, I can't believe it's expected. And it was, it was difficult, but mm -hmm. I tried to embrace the, the celebrations that, you know, she was here, she was home, she was healthy and honor the moments that I was going to lose it because that was inevitable and had to happen at the same time. Um, one of the things that really helped me in the process right before the girls, um, before, excuse me, before Harper came home, my girlfriend's, um, came over and helped me get the nursery ready because at this point I had really two of everything and mm -hmm. I just, I couldn't do it. I couldn't return things. I couldn't pack things away. Um, and so 
having that set up was, was helpful. It was probably one of the harder days that I went through. It was a day that I stayed home from the NICU and, and did it with them. But, um, having a safe and, you know, comforting spot for Harper really did help me in the transition home as well. Yeah. And I wonder if you'd be willing to share about, you know, you mentioned that your NICU was 90 minutes away from home. So did you have any anxieties about being that far away from a hospital or did you feel just like super confident in Harper's like health that it wasn't a concern? I've always wondered how that would feel to be, you know, pretty far away from, you know, 24 hour care. Yeah, I think at the beginning, it was really hard. They they had a few rooms that um, we could stay in when there was issues going on or when there was, you know, something to be concerned with. A few times we had stayed there when there was some issues going on with Avery at the beginning. Um, I got to stay there also, like when we were starting to feed, do breastfeeding. So that was helpful. I had an amazing primary team and I think that gave me the confidence and comfort in knowing that if there was an issue, they were going to let me know, you know, ASAP. I had a lot of anxiety about my phone ringing um, after losing Avery. And so they worked with me with text messaging and sending me videos and text messages. But to be honest, I mean, I was really at the hospital from like 10 to 10 every day. Um, And then I was... It is 90 minutes, but it's like if there was anything going on, I was there in a heartbeat. So right. it, it definitely had some moments, though. And I wonder, you know, what was it like when you left the hospital? Be Like, you know, you bring Harper home and then you're 90 minutes away from the NICU. Like, did that cause any anxiety for you or did you – was that not really something on your mind? I think that it was in the very beginning – until we kind of had that outlet going for us. Oh, sure. But I had to remember because they were, they were discouraging me from getting the outlet. And so I didn't get it Mm. initially. And then I finally was like, I got to sleep. I got to breathe. I got to, you know, turn my brain off a little bit. And that made me remember that the reason they're discouraging me from the outlet, the reason that she's home is because she is healthy and because she is Mm. safe. And so it was a lot of mental talk that I had to do. Um, it, it doesn't mean that I didn't put my hand on her back like 90 times a night and make sure <laughs> that she was breathing or just wake her up for no reason, which I don't advise. But um, <laughs> it, it's a mental talk. And I mean, I know moms yeah. that are not NICU moms that have that fear and anxiety. So I don't know if that would have been my case had they not been NICU babies or had I not lost Avery. But um, I knew she was healthy. And I, and I know that now we, we're very lucky. I mean, she didn't have to go in. She never, never was intubated. She never had really any lung issues. And so as long as I remembered that, that kind of grounded me. Yeah. That's a so I, – I forget that they were never intubated. That is I, remarkable. I mean, such small little girls. And they, I, they just – you know – miracles. Yeah. I mean, there's no other word for it. Absolutely. Both of them. Yeah. I like to throw that one out there. I get excited that they weren't intubated. <laughs> yeah, it's a proud mom moment. <laughs> like I hear the Rocky music and you like standing on the stairs like, yeah. 
Um, I'm like, yeah, well, my baby was never intubated. (laughs) I love it. You know, I think um, what you've just described regarding the outlet, because this comes up like Mm -hmm. all the time in Mm -hmm. the online support group and we hear it from moms as they approach discharge, right? Do you get the outlet? Do you not get the the outlet or angel care or whatever you're going to do? And I think what you described really drills down to what makes you feel safe? Because healing can only happen when we feel safe, right? Like you can only function as a mom for Harper and exist and get to a place of of safety. Uh, and that is completely subjective, right? So for your experience, you know, I think that's what you did was so wise. You evaluated what you needed, right? Because other moms might have the experience of um, feeling anxiety with hearing the beeps or with not hearing the beeps. And you did the wise thing of listening to your heart and determining what was best for you. Yeah. I, I, I needed it. It was, it's a hundred percent subjective and I would never tell a mom to get it if they were wavering because sometimes hearing the alarms or fearing that it's not picking up something that it should be, or that it's giving you inaccurate readings. Like maybe that's too much for you. For me, like I wasn't concerned about, what her heart rate was or what her oxygen levels were because I knew in the NICU, those were always fine. I just wanted to be alerted if something didn't happen. And so Mm -hmm. I needed that because my husband and I were going out of our mind trying to stay up and, you know, keep an eye on her and and it it didn't work for us. So I'm happy we made the decision we did. I think, um, I think that I'm also happy we didn't take it initially because it showed us that we tried to do it without the outlet and it wasn't mm-hmm. working. Yeah. And that I mean that's great too, right? Like you just exhibited, okay, you and your your partner, you know, you're a team in this too, like evaluating like what are you going to do today? And I I like you said a lot of this is true for all parents of newborns, not just NICU, although it's maybe a little bit more there's more hypervigilance involved with Nikki parents, right? But it's like day to day. It's like, okay, we tried this yesterday. We're going to do this tomorrow, right? You become your own little kind of force, um, Delta Force 5, the Burns edition. You know what I mean? You're you're getting in there every day and trying to evaluate um, how to live life with this new baby. Um, and my question for you kind of springing off of that is – about your husband and and what it was like with him and how this experience of losing Avery and having the NICU journey with Harper, how that affected your marriage. If you're comfortable sharing, yeah. I should add that. Yeah, no, of course. Um, so Mike had gone back to work. Um, gosh, he went back to work right before, um, before Avery passed. And then he took some time off work when Avery did pass. And then he went back to work so that, you know, he could take some time off when Harper came home. And so he's, he's amazing. I I don't know how he just kept trekking through because I, I wished I could have taken time off from everything from life when Avery passed and he got up every day and he went to work and he made sure that, you know, I was okay driving to and from the NICU. And one of the conversations I recall so vividly was the night that we drove home after Avery passed away and we were almost home and we hadn't really talked very much in the car ride. 
he was driving, you know, we were holding hands and we were, you know, sniffling and crying. And then we would say something and then we'd cry again. And it was still so fresh to us. And I just remember looking at him and saying, we can't let this break us. You know, Mm -hmm. we can't let the loss of our child ruin anything of our marriage. You know, we had been together at that point for um, just over 10 or 11 years. It'll be 15 years or 16 years this June, uh, April. I don't remember dating versus marriage. And I just knew we as a couple have been through so much. You know, he had just lost his mom recently and then losing Avery and then battling my mom's cancer that I felt like this couldn't be the icing on the cake. Like we've gotten through everything. And so this is just going to make us stronger. And I don't wish for trials to ever do that to a couple or to individuals, but I definitely feel like that has been. Um, I think that he probably went his own path in his grieving, um, not because he's a man, not because I'm a woman that we've grieved differently. I think as individuals, he accepts things rather quickly. He doesn't accept it and is okay with it necessarily, but he, he knows the finality of things and he looks at things in a very logical way and says like, I can't change what just happened. And so the only thing we can do is, is keep going forward. And so he's always been that kind of grounded side of, of me. That's so beautiful, Mm -hmm. Nicole. I love that. I can't remember how long my husband and I've been together. (laughs) It's been so many years. (laughs) Well, and when you talked about you guys just sitting in the car and holding hands and sometimes there aren't any words. And so I also appreciate that you brought that up because sometimes I think we think, you know, okay, we're going through this. We need to talk about it all the time. But sometimes the the only words you have is just to simply hold hands or just to sit in the same space. And so it sounds like you guys did a really beautiful job of having those conversations, but also just sitting in that grief together and acknowledging that we are grieving at different paces. We're, you know, we're grieving the loss of our child together. And sometimes we have words for that and sometimes we don't. And so you guys have really a beautiful and powerful marriage. And so thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, no, it's, it's good that, you know, I think we both have our own paths and that we don't put our expectations on one another. Um, Cause I think that is what can make it the hardest between a couple or between, you know, two friends or whatnot that are, are grieving perhaps the same situation is that he's not going to grieve the loss of our child in the same way that I am. And he's not going to go through the same motions. He doesn't need to talk about it. Like I do, you know, I found doing the podcast last week and being a part of the Dear Nikki Mama groups. Like that's really healing for me to him. That's rehashing. And it's not, that's not a bad thing. It's just to him that brings it all back to the, the forefront and the focus. And he doesn't, want to do that all the time. And I respect that because on the days and moments that I need it or we need it, we come together. I mean, we have our, you know, ways of honoring Avery on, you know, their birthday, on the day that we lost her. And those are our times together to really remember and focus on, on Avery and Harper. Mm -hmm. 
I think that brings us to a really uh, good point where we can talk a little bit about, you know, grief in general and how you have moved through this grief with, with Avery. And, you know, coincidentally, it's corresponded with these other big losses in your life too. So there's quite a lot that you were both carrying. And I wonder what were some of the things that others in your support system did and said that were helpful for you um, to move forward with that grief? And maybe what were some of the things that you didn't prefer? Let's just leave it at that. (laughs) Sure. Um, I think the things that were helpful is not skirting around it, not acting like it didn't happen. Um, I think the one thing that lost parents crave to hear are their children's stories, names, anything. They want to show pictures if you have that ability, you know? And so anytime that my friends or family would openly, willingly, without any prompt, talk about Avery or talk about the fact that I had twins, that to me was really, I was grateful to that. I needed that because at no point in my life, for the rest of my life, will I ever not say that I am a twin mama and that I had, mm-hmm. have twins. Harper's mm-hmm. always going to have been a twin. She's always going to have been a sister, a big, an older sister, you know. And so I really want to encourage anyone that has, you know, friends or family that have gone through the loss of a child, please don't not talk about their child because they want to hear it. That doesn't mean you should, you know, bring it up in the really fun moment where it's going to potentially bring them down, but, you know, allow them to to talk about them and, and be in conversation. So that to me is really important and something that I appreciated happening. Um, mm-hmm. Some things that maybe weren't helpful is I think we've all heard, you know, people say, oh, they're in a better place or, Um, everything happens for a reason, um, or encouraging you to start your next (laughs) pregnancy, anything like that. Mm. Um, I think that everyone goes at their own pace and, um, no matter what your beliefs are, no matter what your, um, faith is like you, there's nothing that you can possibly believe or understand that could that you could fathom a reason for losing your child. And so Mm -hmm. those don't help, at least for me personally. No, I think that's really wise. And um, I've definitely felt that to be true too. And uh, I also think like there is the the beauty of uh, engaging or remembering the, the lost child is can be so celebratory and it brings like an intimacy into if it's a a family relationship or a friendship, something like that. I think like you mentioned, whenever someone brings up my son's name, I know they know me on a different level, right? Like it creates intimacy and a closeness. Um, And I think that's a great way of thinking about it too. Yeah. Uh, I wonder, uh, you have so much wisdom to share. We could ask you a million things. <laughs> but um, one thing, I think I even texted you about it this year on my son's birthday. But I was just, I just wonder how you 
talk and plan on talking to Harper about her sister. Um, I think about this all the time with my kids. You know, what do you do that's meaningful, especially when they're young right now, right? Like I'm trying to explain, I'm like, yes, your brother lives in heaven. And my daughter's like, what's heaven? Never been there, right? <laughs> it's it's hard to do. So how do you plan on on handling that with Harper? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't have an exact plan that I can, you know, write down and tell anyone, but. Right. I would write it down <laughs> if you had a plan. <laughs> if I have one, I will send it to you. But um, Thank you. The, I think that we, we don't talk about her every day, but, you know, there's pictures of her in her room and at the house and we have done, you know, photos that include Avery's um, urn. And we do the butterfly releases on her birthday, their birthday. And so right now I feel like it's more, it's definitely more for me um, to make sure that I'm honoring both of them for my heart. Um, But in the future, I I want to make sure that she knows that she has a sister that's watching over her. That's, you know, hogging all the grandmas right now, because that to me is, is super important is that she knows that no, I don't, I never wanted Harper or Avery to feel like they were a set, but I think that no matter what, they are always going to be sisters and twins. And so I, I always want her to know that her sister existed, that they shared a space inside of me and I don't really know how that's going to look in the future. We're not going to hide anything from her, but it's going to just kind of depend on her emotional capacity as well. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I really answered that question, Martha. <laughs> no, it's good. I wish there was like a Mickey Mouse Clubhouse episode about it or something. Do you know what I mean? Yes. I need some more toddler tools. <laughs> yes, I know. I mean, she's just, you know, she's just over two now. So I, I definitely, like you said, they don't know what heaven is. They don't know what death is. They don't really comprehend what another friend is. So we're a little ahead of being able to figure that (laughs) out, (laughs) but um, whatever that looks like, it's, it's definitely going to honor, you know, their, their sisterhood. It's going to honor Avery and Harper as individuals as well. um, Cause I've never want them to be lumped as one. I never want Harper to think that she isn't or wasn't enough and that I, don't feel complete because of the loss of Avery. So it's a really fine line of making, uh, making sure that they're both honored in life, but that one isn't ever, you know, surpassing the other. Um, Yeah. So it's a, it'll be a trial and error for sure. I'm I'm sure. And you alluded to the question right before this of when people say, so you should try for another or, you know, when, when is the next baby going to come on the way? And so how has that been for you, you know, when those questions are asked or maybe, you know, do you have any input on a better way for people to have that conversation with loved ones? Because we know that most times it's from this most genuine place of just wanting people to grow their family. Right. But those questions can be painful. And so, you know, how has that been for you with your story and maybe what's, what's the best way for people to ask that if they're curious? Sure. Um, I mean, this is completely my personal stand on it, but I don't think there's ever a reason to ask those questions. 
And my reason behind that doesn't come from like this place of like anger when it's asked, but it's because I used to ask those same questions. I of strangers or close friends with like, when are you having a child or when are you going to have number two or three or have you started trying or to a complete stranger when you see them with one kid, how many kids do you have? You're right. Those are all completely innocent and just conversation starters. And now it's to me, it's a personal question and I'm going to answer those questions so many different ways depending on how mm. I feel and what relationship that is that I have to totally. you and so um when there's one of those questions that needs to be answered I'm pretty sure we're gonna tell you and so um again this is my personal way about saying it it doesn't mean you shouldn't have you know deep intimate conversations with your friends and family but um I don't, I don't know. I, I just, I have a hard time with that because mm-hmm. I have friends that are, have been trying to conceive for so long. And when you ask the question of when are you going to, you have no idea that they might've been trying for months and years. Right. Or when you say, are you going for me? This is my number one you know, question right now is, are you going to make Harper a big sister? Harper is a big sister mm-hmm. and Harper will always be a big sister. If I'm going to have, you know, if Mike and I are going to have another child, that's going to be a sibling to Harper and Avery. And so mm-hmm. I, I just think that there's just, it has to be really cautious and careful. And I don't mean that in mm-hmm. just like, we can't ask anything these days, but it is just as much of an intimate question as asking, are you straight or gay? Or are you... um I don't know. I can't think of intimate questions, but those are, they are intimate yeah. questions that yeah. you may not be privy to. Yeah. Right. Intimate's a good word. And I think it's, I like how you said you have different responses for different people in your life. And those different responses are a way to guard your heart because you may not need to go down that trail of Sally in the grocery store asking that question, you know, yeah. but in a safe space with, a dear, dear friend, you may feel the safety to go deeper. And so, you know, having different, almost canned responses in the back of your head can be a really gentle way to just set boundaries for your heart and really protect your heart. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And and I don't want that to sound like I'm discouraging people from having real conversations because I get it. Like those were questions that I would ask strangers and close friends. And I guess it's kind of an eye opener having gone through what I have is that I now realize that there's so much more between, you know, partners surrounding, you know, the potential of getting pregnant again or for the first time that it's not just a casual conversation starter. It's really not. Yeah. 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 I think what you're describing too is, um, you know, how can you build intimate, close relationships with your family and friends, build safety and support there so that if this person um, feels comfortable and when they're ready to talk about such a topic, they'll come to you and then you'll, you're ready to have that conversation, right? Then you can be an outlet. Um, but you have to build the, the safety and security for them no matter what for someone who's lost, like, like you know, lost mamas have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I have, you know, close friends that, you know, when you come at it from a specific angle of, 
hey, I don't know if you're ready to talk about this, but you've been on my heart and I'm thinking about you. And I'm just wondering, Mm, have you and your partner thought about building your family more or building your family Mm. at all? Like that is a completely different way of, of approaching that subject. And it's not how you would in passing at a grocery store, like you said. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. You should write a book, Nicole. Yes, you should. (laughs) You're so wise. (laughs) And you do you do such a good job of surrounding yourself with people who are amazing. Your friends are incredible. <laughs> I have some really dear friends. I'm very grateful. I thought you were talking about us for a second. Oh. <laughs> I am talking about you ladies too. <laughs> I am grateful oh, yeah. to be able to call you both friends and the group of beautiful Nikki mamas that I've met through you. You are literally the best. Um, I would love maybe a couple final thoughts here. The first final thought is what are just some of the things that just amaze you about Harper as you've been able to see her grow and flourish? The sass. It's out of control. (laughs) I honestly, I don't know where she has gotten so much pizzazz from. I mean... (laughs) Just the other night, I was trying to get her ready for bed, and she has this fascination with, like, light switches right now, and there's one at the bottom of the staircase that if she gets on to the very bottom, she can turn it on. And so she'll go up there, and and I'll be like, keep the lights on, and she's like, nope. And I was like, no, we have to keep the lights on so I can see you. And she's like, don't want to, you know, and she just runs from me and flips off all the light switches and goes, it's dark now, night, night time, you know, like just the the sass, like I can't contain her. Um, I, it's so exhausting, but the joy of seeing her grow and develop and flourish is, is remarkable. I, I couldn't be happier. I don't want to, you know, ever dampen her light or flicker at all she's just she's going to be fierce um Mm -hmm. I have no question about that I I pray that someone will come with help in her teenage years like maybe they want to take her for a little bit and (laughs) like that's what camps are for in the summer (laughs) yeah oh my gosh yeah I think that's gonna be needed we gotta get some energy burned out I was you know Martha (laughs) gymnastics might be on the table to get some of that I'm on a trampoline for with a lot of mats around for 15 (laughs) hours we have a trampoline a mini trampoline and it's still not sufficient (laughs) oh boy Well, maybe as kind of a final question to our episode here, you know, for the mamas that are listening who are angel mamas, and maybe especially if they're twin angel mamas, um, what, what hope would you give them or what word of encouragement would you give them if they're listening to this episode? I would say that, like, my wish is to reach out to other twinless twin mamas, if you specifically are a twinless mama, because I don't think there's anyone else that can understand the, the difficulty of raising your surviving twin and grieving your angel um, simultaneously, like that you are 100% doing both at the same time. And that there's going to be 
great days. There's going to be okay days. There's going to be horrible days. And you're going to have no warning as to what day that's going to be when you wake up. Um, and so I encourage you to reach out to anyone else that could help you with that. Um, I was very slow in doing that. Um, and so I think that I would have begun my healing process a little sooner had I had the courage to do that. So definitely don't try and do this on your own. Um, obviously, you know, your partner or your friends, they can be a huge help in that healing process too. But um, just don't try and, and battle this on your own. That's my one, you know, hope for you. I'm always available. I would love to help anyone. That doesn't mean that I am fully healed. I have really hard days too. Um, it's going to be a lifelong healing as dear Nikki mama likes to say that mm -hmm. healing is lifelong. And, um, I don't have a magic potion to make it better. Um, but I would always encourage you to reach out to another lost mama if you need that support. I was going to start snapping, but I don't think I'll pick it up. <laughs> snap, mama, snap. <laughs> <laughs> well, Nicole, thank you again for coming back for part two. Part one was just such an honor to hear about Miss Avery. And it was really powerful to, to hear how you journey on through life, celebrating your beautiful Harper while also honoring Avery's life. And so thank you so much for sharing so vulnerably and so tenderly. If there's any angel mamas listening here, specifically um, twin angel mamas, we just want to remind you today that you're not alone. That like Nicole mentioned, healing is lifelong. Joy and grief can, go can coexist in the same breath in the same day. And so we hope that this episode reminds you that um, – that healing is lifelong and it may take time, but you are worthy of the time it takes to heal. So Nicole, thank you again for sharing. Mamas, thank you as always for tuning in and listening with us. And we can't wait to connect with you guys next time. Thank you, Nicole. Thanks for having me again. If you love this podcast and would like to hear more amazing stories, please consider becoming a member of the Dear NICU Mama Patreon page. In addition to special merchandise and early access to content, Patreon members support the mission, programs, and services of Dear NICU Mama. You can find the link on the description of this episode. As always, if you'd like to hear more from Dear NICU Mama, click subscribe. Welcome to the sisterhood.